This week, Ireland's fiscal crisis, Moscow's mayors ousted, and details emerge on the North Korean succession. You're listening to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman, and I'm joined in the studio by David Gardner. David, you've uh, recently been in Ireland. The situation there sounds incredibly drastic. The uh, senior government officials are talking about the failure of one of the major banks. They're bringing the whole country down. How's it got to this state? Well, um, they they had really the mother of all banking crises. And this really was uh, uh, homegrown. Um, banks, one in particular, the one you, you allude to, Anglo-Irish Bank, whose loan book went in the course of a decade to 2008 from 3 billion euros to 73 billion euros. Virtually all of it borrowed in the wholesale markets and lent on to property developers who went bust and the bank went bust. Um, Anglo-Irish's race for, for, for market share caused a frenzy of lending in the other banks um, to similar people, essentially property developers, so that the property sector as a whole came to account for damn near uh, 20, 25% of the entire Irish economy. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty much a write-off. Now, what what has happened after several, shall we say, moments in, in this prolonged crisis? Uh, I think this was this morning, Thursday, uh, with Brian Lennon, the finance minister's statement to the Doyle, a make-or-break moment in which he is trying to draw a line under the banking crisis by quantifying as precisely as it is possible the total losses and the losses for which the exchequer and therefore the taxpayer will be liable. That will jack up uh, this year's deficit to 32% That's of GDP. That's because uh, just, just as a reminder, the Maastricht criteria, which are meant to govern members of the Eurozone, indeed all members of the EU, mm-hmm. uh, set the maximum fiscal deficit at 3%, and you're saying Ireland's at 32%? Yes, and I'm afraid there's no decimal point missing here. And, and um, you know, appropriately enough, this will go into the Guinness Book of Records, <laughs> I imagine. Um, and, but is it a one-off? I mean, it is a one-off. That's very important to realise. The underlying deficit remains pretty much where it was, very high. Uh, uh, about uh, 11.5%. Um, by drawing a line and under the banking crisis, quantifying the costs, the essential pitch that Mr. Lenehan is making is we now need to tackle the structural deficit with a four-year budgetary plan which brings our deficit down to 3% by 2014, which means... It means recession in the short term. I was going to ask, and they I mean, need a they need a growth path out of that. And what are the effects on the real economy? Are we talking very high unemployment? I mean, does does Ireland feel like it's in the middle of a deep recession, even a depression yet? It it doesn't, uh, to be honest. But uh, I I was purely in Dublin. I think if you get into outlying areas where jobs have been lost, principally in the construction industry and alternatives such as agriculture, retail and so on have also not available, um, then, then, it, then it, will, it, it would certainly look a lot grimmer. But um, unemployment actually has not reached, for example, the scale it has in Spain. 
uh, about 20-odd percent there. It's about 13.8 in in, in Spain, in, of in course, Ireland. another property bubble country. Absolutely. But but what Ireland has is, is or in, in this instance, is a, is a sort of natural adjustment mechanism, which is they took in from about the middle of this decade a very large number of, 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 of migrants, hmm. uh, migrant labour, principally in construction, principally from Eastern Europe. And so and they, they can go home. A lot of them have. There's the biggest net outward migration since, I think, 1987. Okay. Final question. I mean, of course, what's happening in Ireland is very dramatic and not great for the Irish, but it's Mm -hmm. a small country. However, I suppose the big question is, is this the next leg of the European, on the Eurozone crisis? Well, one could deduce that from the way that the bond markets have been battering Ireland for most of this month with um, yields, interest rates going up to, I I think, nearly 6.7% at one stage. I wouldn't personally read too much into that unless it were to go on uh, very much longer. The reasons being this. um, Ireland is actually fully funded for its borrowings uh, up until next July. It's all been done. Mm-hmm. And that figure that you see, 6.7%, as the cost of borrowing, is theoretical in the sense that it assumes that borrowing is taking place. But they've done all their borrowing. Mm-hmm. The cost of Irish borrowing this year will be identical to last year at roughly 4.7%. So then they're not going to Sorry, they have yeah. also two cash cushions. Yeah. They've got a sovereign wealth fund of $24 billion uh-huh. and a cash pile at the Treasury Management Agency of $20 billion. So, and a final factor is Mm. that the cost of the bank bailouts, which will come to something of the order net of of, of about 36 billion euros, the vast majority of it in Anglo-Irish, is spread out over 10 years in promissory notes, um, redeemable on 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 a yearly basis. So it's not Greece. Greece couldn't borrow and had no reserves left. That's not the case with Ireland. Well, thank you very much for that clarifying point. It doesn't sound great, but perhaps not as as grim as the initial headlines mm. might make it sound. David Gardner, yeah. thank you very much indeed. Now, earlier this week, the mayor of Moscow, the long-serving Yuri Lushkov, was ousted by President Dmitry Medvedev. He was surrounded by corruption allegations, but Mr Lushkov has threatened to go to court to clear his name. Catherine Belton in Moscow joins me now. Catherine, how long has this been coming? It's really been coming for quite a few years now. I mean, even Putin wanted to get rid of him back in 2000 when he first came to power because Lushkov had actually run against him in the in the presidential elections. But they seemed to kind of find a modus operandi and, and Putin seemed willing to let him stay in power. But really over the last year, Medvedev has been, who succeeded Putin as president, has been very um, kind of systematically removing very long-running governors who've been more than 10 years in power in the regional governments. And Luzhkov was the last man standing, and he'd built up an enormous power base in that time. And it seems that, that over the last few months they'd been hinting to him that he should quietly go and resign and sort of take his honorary pension. But And it seems that there was one particular instance he was called into the Kremlin and 
asked to go and sort of take some state awards and honorary positions, but he just refused to. So um, I think everything built up into a big standoff that erupted earlier this month with uh, Lushkov writing articles critical of the president, accusing him of indecisiveness. And then uh, state TV started airing uh, various programs on TV accusing Lushkov of all kinds of corrupt activities, which people had always talked about but had never been aired on very closely censored state TV before. So is it over now? It's not clear because um, Lushkov was, or a friend, close friend of Lushkov had been saying that Lushkov was considering going to court over his dismissal. That was yesterday, but since then, Lushkov has given an interview to a Russian opposition magazine where he said he would not go to court, but no one's really, apart from that one interview, which actually hasn't been published in full yet, no one has heard from him. So everyone's still a bit on tenterhooks, because if he doesn't go quietly, then it kind of raises uh, the possibility of all kinds of instability in, in Moscow, um, which could be uh, risky for the Kremlin because there's only one year to go before parliamentary elections. I mean, as I said, he has a, a huge power base. It's not just his wife's construction empire, but ruling a city like Moscow, where most of the country's wealth is concentrated for 18 years, you've got fingers in, in many pies. Now, it's interesting then that President Medvedev felt strong enough to move against him because there's, as you know, been lots of speculation about whether he's really just a placeman, whether uh, uh, Prime Minister Putin is really the strong man still running the country while Medvedev keeps his seat warm in the Kremlin. What does this say about Medvedev's position? Um, I think I don't think he could have done it without Putin's tacit permission. They, they had to have talked about it. I don't think he would have taken this decision alone. But in a, in a way, Medvedev had to do it because... Lushkov directly attacked him in, in an article that he published in a newspaper. You can't accuse the president of indecisiveness when everyone is waiting for the president to, to take action against against him. Um, so you know, Medvedev was was backed into a corner, and I think I think, um, but I don't think he, I don't think he would have taken the decision on his own. Um, Putin's statement after the ouster was very telling, actually. Putin sort of kept his 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 own comments to a minimum, but he but he said he said that this was not my decision; it was the president's. It was almost as if he he was saying that so that people would not think that the president, Mr. Medvedev, is is a wimp and can't make his own decisions. Catherine Belton, Moscow. Thank you very much indeed. North Korea, one of the world's most closed countries, has for many years kept secret any plans for a successor to the dictator Kim Jong-il. However, this week we were given a glimpse at what the future for this poverty-stricken country might hold, at least in terms of its leadership. Our Korea correspondent, Christian Oliver, spoke earlier to Rob Minto. When we deal with North Korea, we can normally expect the unexpected. But the curious thing in this succession story at the moment is that everything has gone in a very textbook way. We expected that to get power in North Korea, you need a foot in the camp of the military and a foot in the Workers' Party. North Korea is run on a system of divide and rule under which the Kim family keeps the military and the Workers' Party 
guessing about the interests of the other. So it's important to have a foot in each of those rivals. Um, so what has happened is that we have seen, as we expected, key family members, which is Kim Jong-un, the son, the third son, being mentioned for the first time in media as having received roles in both of those crucial organs, and the, his aunt, or Kim Jong-il's sister, has as well. What does it mean for Kim Jong-un that his aunt, uh, Kim Kyung-hee, has also been given a significant promotion? I think the most obvious way to look at this is that the aunt is married to a man called Jang Sung-tae, and he is the second most important official in the country. He is deputy head of the National Defence Commission, uh, which is the most most important body within the country. Now, his wife receiving a four-star generalship and party, far more important party roles, um, what we have here is probably the sort of surrogate family, if you like, the political veterans who can help the young Kim Jong-un, who's probably only 27 years old, find his feet in a political system that's really not as monolithic as most outsiders think. There are lots of competing groups, it's very aggressive, um, so he'll need this the, the steadying hand of these two uh, family members to, to help him to help his find, find his footing. For stability to be preserved, Kim Jong-il must not die too soon. But uh, Kim, Kim Jong-il and Chang Song-tek um, could, help him, could, could help him into power. There are some other theories about this, and I'm, I'm not sure how seriously we should be taking them. There are some analysts in South Korea and even a former Japanese defense minister who are certain that Kim Kyung-hee herself poses something of a risk, that she has ambitions on power herself or for her husband. To be honest, I think the way that North Korea is structured makes that very difficult, that fundamentally, once the son has been named like this, then power should concentrate onto him. The propaganda machinery is really going to crank into life. His official mythology, his um, official biographical details, I'm sure the book is going to come out soon of his life so that school children, everybody can learn who the young general is. Once somebody's got to that position, I think it would be very hard to then roll back and to try and put somebody else in that position. I mean, the internal rivalries could be dedicated towards who has the influence over the regent, but really the, the whole state and the whole way the state is built would be unthinkable without a male Kim at the, at the, at the top. And what challenges do you think that uh, Kim Jong-un will, will face? Yeah, this is, a, this is a grim time to be taking over North Korea. In, in real terms, North Korea has got poorer, and perhaps the extreme of that drop um, has, has, has already taken place to an extent that now um, they're in, a, they're in a just an irredeemably bad position in terms of hunger in the nation, in terms of the flooding situation is just getting worse and worse. They're so deforested, they, they are just prone continually to flooding. The, um, that flooding and then knocks on into the system like the mines. Uh, I can't remember the exact figure, but a shocking percentage of coal mines of North Korea 
are flooded and they don't have the technology to pump the water out of those mines. So from an energy point of view, they're suffering. They're under increasingly effective international sanctions for their nuclear weapons program, for their ballistic missiles tests. The, the leader will have to, the leadership has to cope with all of these problems with China looming. And on the one hand, there'll be moves inside the country to attempt some kind of reforms, possibly even modeling some things on Chinese um, methodology and Chinese ways of working. The problem on the flip side is that you have a very powerful high guard, probably deep within the military, who try and block that, who resist anything because bringing in foreign ways just undermines the system. That was Rob Minto talking to Christian Oliver in Seoul. And that's it for this week. All that's left is to thank David Gardner in the studio, Catherine Bolton in Moscow and Christian Oliver in Seoul. World Weekly was produced by Rob Minto. Till next week, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.